you can't change the culture without changing the people. I think that can mean two things. That can mean sometimes you can't change the culture without physically changing the people. That has to happen sometimes. I think that also means you have to change the outlook that people have, the attitude that people have. The people have to change if you're going to change the culture. Hey there, I am Kate Volman, and this is Lead with Culture. Today, we are talking about culture. We want you to think a little bit differently about culture, and I am joined by our Director of Coaching, Tony Ferraro. I'm excited about our conversation around the topic that we could both talk about all day. We could, Kate. One of the things we always talk when we're training coaches is one of the great qualities of a good coach is to be curious about people, be curious about situations, which leads me to a point. What's one of the things we always talk about, and Matthew Kelly says this quite a bit, when it comes to answering a question, what's one thing you can do? Challenge the premise of the question. Because so often we try to answer a question that has some real built-in bias to it. So this idea of challenging the question, we always see this in training, whether we're doing coaching with an executive or we're actually doing training with a company. Before we start to talk about what culture is, we have to ask them the other question. What culture is not? There's a premise, just when we use the word culture, there's a built-in bias when people ask about that. It's interesting too, because if you took 10 different leaders and put them in a room and asked, what is your definition of culture? They would each give a different definition. Now they would probably all somewhat be similar, but this happens because it's really been taken over by the media. We see all these articles out there of all these organizations and companies that are talking about, we give unlimited vacation days and we bring in lunch every day for our team members and we have sleep pods and bring your dog to work and all of these perks. While perks are great and no one's going to say no to a great perk, but that's not culture. Those are niceties. Those are things that you can do for your people and that's great, but that's actually not what creates the culture of your organization. And a culture is really those systems and values and expectations, behaviors and beliefs that increase or decrease an organization's chances of fulfilling its mission. To say it more simply is the heart of an organization. It is how do people feel when they're coming to work? How do they feel about doing work together and working towards a mission? And you see the culture not only in the people, but also you feel the culture, the customers feel the culture. We see that every day in the products and the services and the companies that we really love. We feel the way that their employees are feeling because that's how they're treating the customers that are coming in and doing business with them. You're so right. And basically anything that helps the company accomplish its mission. One of the reasons that these premises get propagated and passed on is that we don't challenge the assumption. We don't challenge the premise of the question when it comes up. So what I saw recently, which leads to the point of the conversation here today, is I came across something that really challenged the premise of a question. And here it is. And so it may be in an unlikely spot, but I've been following some interest. Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, took over at Colorado football. And he's a football coach at the University of Colorado. Now, to give you some idea, Deion Sanders was an unprecedented athlete in his time. He actually played a professional football game and a professional baseball game on the same day. He's just next level, totally out there in terms of athletic ability. And he's since become a coach and had a great turnaround at a historically black college and a lot of press around that, and then accepted a job at the University of Colorado. Now, to give you an idea, 
the University of Colorado, there are 131 college football programs, Division One college football programs. Colorado, they do a power rankings, 103 out of 131, and 131 is the worst. They were 128 out of 131 in winning percentage. They were 127th out of 131 in offense, and they were dead last, 131 out of 131 on defense. He had a bunch of opportunities to go someplace, and he chose Colorado with the mission, and he was very clear from the beginning, of winning games, of turning that thing around, and it's just a monumental task. But I have been fascinated to kind of watch the process that goes along, and the other day, I read Someone asked him about culture, something like, are you changing the culture at Colorado? He said, I don't care about culture because they brought in a lot of new players and how are they getting along? And he said, we're here to win games. Now, people took that a bunch of different ways. I went back and read the article and he was really talking about this idea of, you know, how are the players getting to know each other? And he went on to say, look, I've been on some teams where the quarterback didn't even like the receiver but they darn sure made harmony when the ball was snapped. But his point there was like, look, we're after one thing. The one thing is to win. And if we do the right things, it's going to create the culture around that. It's all those things that are going to help us to win. Then I got really intrigued by this. People are going crazy about you know what he's saying. But I said, no, let me try to apply this to the six immutable principles we always try to teach with forming a dynamic culture. That's where I was headed with this conversation. And the point there was challenging the premise is it doesn't always look the way we think it looks. That's number one. And number two is there are some principles that go across all of different organizations, right? We work with a lot of different people and a lot of different groups. And what do we say about people? People are people. So you're coaching a lot of different people. We're training a lot of different people. There are similarities in the fundamentals across organizations, right? Yeah. And it's interesting because Tony and I were chatting and I'm not a football fan. I don't follow football quite as much as Tony and his love of coaches. But it's fascinating to look at different organizations, industries, athletics, and how important culture is because it's the only way to get a group of people together working towards a common mission. And for him, it's winning. Think about it in business we want to win. In life, we want to win. And so if we're going to accomplish anything, there's certain principles that are going to help everybody collectively get there. And so it's so interesting when he was like, culture doesn't matter. Then he goes on and describes all the things that he's doing to win. And that is exactly what culture is. He's basically describing the six immutable principles and the first and the second principle being mission is king. For them, it's all about getting the ball. It's about winning. And so everyone on the team knows that is what we are here to do. Even when they lose a game, they don't lose sight on the fact that we are here to win. And that's what we will keep doing. And so everyone is working towards that. And so it's fascinating that he's culture doesn't matter, but everything he's doing is culture. Absolutely. He's so good at laying something out and challenging every premise of questions because he gets asked a million questions there. Now, this is the true whether you're running a business or whether you're running a football team is that it's implied that when we talk about everything towards winning or everything about being profitable, that we're talking about being ethical and we're talking about doing things within the framework of rules. This isn't a win at all cost where you sell your soul. If we start with that premise that we're going to do things within the parameters of 
ethics and what's legal and all those sorts of things, because then we're talking about everything we can do in winning. So basically, here's my run of the six principles and see if this makes sense with what I see at Colorado. The first principle is making culture a priority. So even though he said, I don't accept what you think is culture, but from day one, he even said, we're going there and we're going to compete and we're going to be great for everything that we do, whether it's in the classroom, on the field, the people that we are, everything that we do, we're going to shoot. The culture was the number one priority. That's the way we're going to get there by changing what's going on. Then as you alluded to, the second principle, mission is king. With number one, what was so interesting when Tony said this is what he wanted to talk about on the podcast, I was like, I'm going to Google Deion Sanders. I'm going to listen to a couple of his press conferences because I was interested. It was so fascinating, all the questions that he was getting asked. And when we think about make culture a priority, somebody asked him a question about how their team's mindset is probably changed and how do you get the mindset back in season? And he was like, what are you talking about? No, my people always have the mindset of winning. It never goes away. It's always this same mindset. And I thought that was so interesting because it's true, right? Like in life, in business, in sports, you might not be at the level that you're working at when you're training and doing certain things, but the mindset has to be there. We have to feed our minds every single day. If you went for months on end and you weren't feeding yourself content, if you weren't being motivated, if you weren't getting coached, if you weren't focusing on those different areas of your life, think about how much can fall apart in only a matter of weeks or months. You don't just get back in the game to have that mindset. So I thought that was really interesting and how it's so important to make culture a priority, not only in the game, but in your life, like how important that is to keep that number one. What a great point. He just stressed that with every individual person, everything they did, every action they took, is it moving us towards what we want to do or not? Which we always say, you know, is, is this helping us be a better version of ourselves or not helping us? It's so easy to make decisions at that point. From the get-go, he just never wavered off what he was saying. And then that leads us into the second principle of mission being king. Everything is around the mission of winning. And He's a huge star, but he actually does a pretty good job of steering things away from him. And what I mean by that is he's very clear about this is not about me. This is what we're about. And this is actually bigger than me. Every ounce of energy we have to have toward winning. And if I don't think that gets us there, we're not doing that. Because one of the things a leader's role is the allocation of scarce resources. And time, for example, is an extremely scarce resource. What are you spending your time on? Any meeting you have? Any activity you're doing at your company that's not getting you towards your bottom line is a dereliction of your duty, if you will, of allocating scarce resources. So I just think he's so dialed in on that. But then that's when I got going and thought, okay, I wonder if I can put the six principles. The next one, number three, over-communicate the plan. Whether you like Deion Sanders or you don't like Deion Sanders, I don't think anybody would say he is underexposed or he has under-communicated his plan. He's got three or four different social networks going. Every place he goes, there's a camera following him and he has his own production company. As a matter of fact, when he got hired, he said, look, I know you do things at the university promotion wise, but my company's going to handle most of the football stuff because there's a way he wants things communicated. They are so diligent about communicating it the same way, making sure the message is the same. And sometimes we don't always do that when we're in an organization or we make that tragic mistake of assuming that people know what we want because we may have said it once. And we know that doesn't work out. We always tell leaders to, because it's uncomfortable. It can be uncomfortable to say the same thing over and over. 
We don't want to feel like our people are not going to pay attention to us because we're not saying it over and over. No, that's how to get your people to pay attention. And we often will tell people until your team members are almost mocking you in the sense of they're saying things before you even get to saying them, you haven't said it enough. That's what I love so much about any really great leader. It's very clear and it's very consistent. The same thing. People don't doubt what this person stands for, believes in, where they're going, because they're saying the same thing over and over. And we see this, obviously, when it comes to marketing. You have to see an ad or something online about seven times before someone will decide to actually make a purchase or to buy something. And so it's the same thing with the people that you're communicating with. Sometimes people need to hear it one or five, seven, 10, 20 times before they're like, oh, I finally got that, which sounds so ridiculous. But when you think about it, how often have you heard a message over and over? And then all of a sudden, one day you're like, it kind of clicks in a way that you'd never thought before. Repetition is a leader's friend. Absolutely. They actually mean what they're saying. They didn't just say it one time and go from there. They mean what they're saying and they believe it. Because that's the thing with a lot of leaders is it's easy to say something and it doesn't really gain traction. And that's not going to help anybody get to the mission of the organization. I don't think anybody's going to doubt that he's over commuting his plan. And then the next principle, hire with rigorous discipline. So I said, well, there's really two groups of people he's, quote, hired. One is pretty straightforward, like coaches, for example. So he went out and found what he deemed the absolute best coaches for their mission. One of their offensive coordinator was a head coach at another college and chose to leave a head coaching job to become an assistant at Colorado. So when you talk about hiring with rigorous discipline, hiring the best people that you can, he went out and searched for the people that fit what he wanted to do that were on the same page and were very good at what they did. So that was a big part of that. And then from a player standpoint, you do kind of hire players because you recruit them. Now, it's very controversial. There were some rules in this particular time allow you to clear a roster. There's only like 15 players coming back from last year. So there's a big turnover there in the players. And it was interesting because he also made this quote, you can't change the culture without changing the people. I think that can mean two things. That can mean sometimes you can't change the culture without physically changing the people. That has to happen sometimes. And we know that when we're coaching with leaders, it's the hardest decision that people make. So sometimes you have to actually change the people themselves. I think that also means you have to change the outlook that people have, the attitude that people have. The people have to change if you're going to change the culture. And he went on to say, look, the folks that resist change could care less about the people affected because their only concern is how they're affected. So if you're not all on board, you're actually being selfish. You're going after your mission instead of the mission. You're making yourself king rather than the mission the king. So he's definitely done a job of hiring the right people, getting the right players, or doing the best he possibly could at effort of making that the case. And what's interesting about that, too, is it's the leader's responsibility to not only hire the right people, but to let go of the people that aren't the right fit. And what's so cool about coaching is, look, they have to let go of team members and they get moved on to other teams if they aren't the right fit for that team. And it's the same thing with us, with leaders, like we have to do that. And it can be really hard because sometimes we don't want to let certain people go because they're really great people. And it's challenging to let someone go. But when we're so focused on mission, and if somebody is not either a cultural fit or they are not able to perform the mission of their role, 
we have an opportunity to do two things. We have to decide, hey, where else can this person go in the organization? Because we love them and they are a good cultural fit, but they're not doing the job. Where else could they potentially go? Or, and we see this in some organizations when they're not a cultural fit and they're not even really great at their job. And we keep those people around. They're not happy, obviously, because who's happy not being able to fulfill the mission of their role? And they're not helping fulfill the mission of the organization. And so as leaders, we have to make those tough decisions. And it's so interesting because we see this all the time, how many people will keep a team member on board that they don't even want to keep around because then I have to go hire someone and find someone. And that's really difficult. But think about all of the energy and time and resources that are being wasted day and month and sometimes even years when you're letting the wrong people stay within the organization. So we have to look at it from that both sides of you're hiring with rigorous discipline and you're also making sure everyone on that team is living and breathing the values and they do believe in the mission of the organization. Such a great point. And sometimes I think I'm being more compassionate by keeping someone around. Well, what other people see is that the person's either not good at their job or they're a real cancer to the culture. And either you don't care about the culture to do something about that, or you're letting that person languish. And so what we think is being compassionate for people, other folks on our team think you're actually just tolerating them. Their opinion of you is how you deal with people goes down when you think it goes up because you're keeping someone around. So you made a great point there, Kate. And then letting people know what to expect. Again, his first meeting with his team went viral. You know, he pretty much said, most of you aren't going to be able to play here. And so that was the controversial part. But all along the line, if you listen and watch, it's just very clear. This is what I expect of you. And this is the level of commitment we expect. And if you're not at a place where you could honor that commitment, then personally, this isn't going to fit. It's not going to work out. So from day one, he's been very upfront. This is what we are about. And these are the people that'll be here. And again, some people viewed that as harsh, but actually, I mean, you look at the opposite of letting some people stay around who had no chance of being in his plans. Actually, what happened is everybody had a chance to go somewhere else because you can transfer now, or it's important to know the university guaranteed all their scholarships. Even if they weren't playing football, they could still go to school for free if they didn't find another place. You can't do the work that we need you to do. You were 131 out of 131. Clearly something is not working there. We talk about this in our trainings when it comes to sports is you have a scoreboard. People always know what's expected of them. Everyone wants to win the game. But what does that look like? That means you're putting in effort. It means you're improving. It means whatever it is that the coach is sharing with their team of what's expected of them. And so everyone knows whether they're winning or losing. So when someone's on your team, everyone on your team deserves to know what's expected of them. Your team should know when they're going home from the office or at their dinner table because they're working from home. We should all know what winning looks like, even if financially things aren't maybe going so well, but what does winning look like as a whole so that people can feel good about the role that they're in, even during challenging times. And so I think that's really important for leaders to be very clear. This is what I expect of you. These are the expectations that need to be met. You are either going to give it your all and do what's expected of you, or you're not. Those are the two options. But you have to know what you're working towards so that you can feel that level of comfort and know like I'm doing what is expected of me. And I'm very clear on that. You are so right. I'm not sure everybody knows this, but the level of analytics and data that's being used right now. So for example, consider this when you're considering your own workout, Kate. So most of the players now, I saw this a little documentary on this yesterday. So they're wearing 
these vests and these things that have chips in them and the shirts they wear underneath have these chips. So they're measuring things like miles per hour you're running. So instead of just guessing, you have your times that you're supposed to be running. In a lot of these cases, it's up on a big scoreboard. So if you're dogging it, everybody knows it. And in the weight room, most of these college weight rooms now have these screens where it measures real-time output. So as you're lifting and as you're pulling a bar up and the speed and all those things, it measures against your historical performance. You can't take a rep off. You can't not do better than you did before. Everything's getting measured all the time. It's on a big scoreboard. If you're not able to handle that, then you're not going to be able to function today. So they're clearly letting everybody know what to expect. It's just fascinating how they're measuring everything. But actually, it's good. The scoreboards, it's so important in training. How did I do last week? How did I do yesterday? How did I do? And what's expected? And great coaches can do that, which leads to the last point of create a coaching culture. One of the things that the coach Deion Sanders does a lot is he's continually talking about mentoring people in all their areas of their lives. You know, the coaches here have to be mentors. They've got specialists in there. And a lot of schools do this, but like in all areas of people's lives, the kids' lives, whether it's academics, the social, that they're constantly mentoring people. And I heard him talking about, he'll sit with somebody and say, look, when I was playing, this is what I ran into. And like, he takes every opportunity to coach someone, even if it's away from the player, the way from what they're doing, but there's clearly a coaching culture in there where he's just expecting everybody, all the coaches to continually, not only coaching football, but be a mentor on the type of person you are and that everybody's continually being coached in what they're doing. And so you set high standards, but then you have to walk the walk with people. In business, if you're managing a team, you have to set those standards for the team, but then you actually have to coach them through it. And when they're struggling and you have to not just manage the numbers where you're not doing it, you're out, but I've hired you because I think you can do this. And this is what we expect. And I'm going to help coach you along the way. We always talk about the difference between a manager and a coach. So tell me the difference, the manager and coach. A manager is hovering over you and making sure you're getting the tasks done where a coach is focusing on, hey, this is the end result that we're looking for. And you're helping that person grow into that role and make sure that they're fulfilling it, but using their gifts in order to fulfill it. So those are two very different approaches. That's why people, when they talk about micromanaging, it's like micromanagers feel like I'm going to show you how to do this one thing and you have to do it exactly this way instead of, hey, we're more focused on the outcome than anything else. Because when you hire really great people and you coach them to do their role, let them get there how they need to get there. But by learning their work process, by learning how they think about the work that they do and how they are getting to a certain place, you can then coach them to maybe think about things a little bit differently, do their work a little bit better. And then they're getting better in their work and in their life. And that is what people want. They want to get better. I remember many years ago, I was a high jumper and I had never done it before. And I had a coach who was teaching me how to do it, but my coach wasn't a high jumper. There was only so much that he could really coach me to get to another level because he had never done it. Now, in hindsight, I'm like, why did they not get a coach that knew how to coach someone in this? When you have a coach that really knows how to push you to help you see things a little bit differently, to make sure that you're pushing yourself and really growing, like that is what people crave. They might not say that they want that, but that's what people want because we crave progress and we crave growth. When we're growing, we're feeling better and we're doing great work together. So we want both of those things to happen. I think it boils down to the difference between a manager and a coach is punctuation. 
And what I mean by that is you could ask somebody, look, when you're talking to the people on your team, do most of your sentences end with a period or a question mark? If you're a manager, they all end with periods. And if you're a coach, they end in questions. Why do you think that happened? What could you do different next time? What do you think the issue is here? What's the heart of the problem? What do you want to happen? Because people want to be coached. They don't want to be managed. And what did you learn is like the best question, especially after a project or something, whether you quote unquote won or didn't, whatever happened in the outcome, it's so important. And it's funny because we keep on talking about winning and losing. And so I keep hearing Simon Sinek's voice because he wrote The Infinite Game and how he talks about how business is an infinite game. There's no winners or losers. Like in football, you have a game, there's a winner and a loser. But in business, it's infinite. There's no finite. Like he describes the difference between infinite and finite. And so I think that's just another way to look at business too. As we're talking through like a football team and then translating it into business, like business, fortunately, we can continue to grow and learn and develop and all of these things. There's no winners or losers. And this is what's so great about this principle number six is having that coaching culture so that you're continuously learning, growing, getting better and growing the business and growing your people together. Absolutely. And, you know, businesses do have short and long-term wins. If you're a public company, you got quarterly reports you have to lay out. You've got to set your budget every year. So there's plenty of data points there where you actually have to deliver. But your point is so good is that it's a continual process. And in a football season, you may lose the first game. But what's the second game look like? And third, are you getting better or worse? Because you're never staying the same. But I think we just always have to challenge that premise of questions that we get asked. Learning goes on not when we come across things that we know. And I think we get trapped into that. We read the same things. We read the same authors. We listen to the same people. But there's a point where you have to stretch yourself and say, let me really dig into that situation. And in our world right now, where it's all about sound bites, can I go find out more? Just like you, you said, I didn't know Dan Sanders. I went and I looked him up. That's what a winner does. That's what somebody who really wants to improve is to find out, can I get out of my comfort zone and really see what this person's saying? Because there's so much wisdom that's out there for willing to look for it and not get trapped into the same old things that we do, many of which are good and you should reinforce those, but where can we stretch ourselves? Because what that does is it actually reinforces what we think is right or it challenges to think about something differently. And either one of those is a win. If you come away from somebody and say, I totally disagree with that person saying, now you're just building up your own conviction. But sometimes you go, you know, there's a point to what they're saying and maybe I need to think about that a little bit more. That's a good way to end because we like to give people some type of action step in moving forward. And that's a great one, Tony. I like this idea of what are you consuming on a regular basis? And now is your opportunity to pick up an autobiography from someone in a very different industry than you. Like for me with sports, that's not my thing, but I appreciate listening to coaches and people that are at the elite level of athleticism because there's a lot to be learned in the discipline and the culture and what they're doing in order to win and become the best version of themselves. And so looking at people, I often study comedians and I relate comedians to entrepreneurship. And so for me, that's really fun to do. So think about a book that you can pick up or a podcast, listen to a completely different genre of podcast. I used to be so hesitant to read fiction books because I'm like, no, I need to learn and grow and get better. But there's so much to learn about the human condition and people by reading great fiction. And so that is your challenge today is either listen to a podcast, a book, a magazine, something that you normally would never pick up or listen to or consume and just come from it from a different perspective and see how you can relate some of the things that you're reading into your own life and in your work and in your life in general. So I like that little takeaway. 
Awesome. All right. Appreciate the time. It's been good. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We're really enjoying doing the podcast. If you haven't yet written a review, we would love for you to write a review. We want to know how you're enjoying the show. And as we were talking about culture and you're thinking about your leadership journey and what you're doing to build your team and create a great culture and grow your business, we would love to talk to you about what coaching would look like for you. So you can go to floydcoaching.com, check that out, and let's have a conversation. We'll get on the phone with one of our coaches and talk through where you are now, where you want to go, and how we might be able to support you in those efforts. Go to floydcoaching.com. And thank you for listening. Until next time, lead with culture.